and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, here we are on Independence Day weekend, 4th of July weekend, however you want to deem it. I mean, the official name of the holiday is Independence Day, but colloquially, colloquially, it's also known as 4th of July. So either way, you know, there's a lot of people that get upset when you call it 4th of July weekend. It's Independence Day. Uh, Okay. If it makes you happy. I don't think it really matters. Like, first of all, I don't know why I stretched out that F so much. (laughs) But first of all, it's okay to say, you know, 4th of July weekend. Because it's not the particular day, if you call Sunday Independence Day, but no matter what you call it, it's important. How how are you planning to celebrate tomorrow? I got work to do. Okay, well, you, I would <laughs> I assume do. I would assume at some point you'll be grilling some kind of meat. Since yes. that's what yeah, you do pretty yeah, much yeah. every day, it doesn't have to be <laughs> you know Independence Day for that. No, but uh, yeah, there there will be a, a smoker going in a uh, grill. For for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Moniz just catches whatever is running around Moniz Island <laughs> and throws it in the smoker, and you know it's it's usually pretty good. I don't ask what it is; I just eat it. Yeah, wise idea. But uh, yeah, no, he is a first rate uh, barbecue and and smoker. Uh, well, was, I I guess you would say you were just a smoker, not a smoker chef. Anyway, he's yeah. got a he's got a grill and he's got I'm a smoker. I'm good at barbecue. He's, he's yeah, he's great at both of them. Uh, and so, you know, if you ever see the smoke billowing from Moni's Island, don't worry. That's just dinner getting ready. Yep. Uh, so, but uh, we figure that tonight, because it is, you know, on the eve of Independence Day, that one of the things that we could discuss is something that we have a unique perspective on uh, here with Spooky South Coast that other other paranormal podcasts and radio shows might not have the same experience because they don't live in this part of the country. And that being Revolutionary War Ghosts and Hauntings. Now, there's a number of books that have been written about the revolution, about the ghosts. Um, uh, Jeff Belanger wrote Ghosts of War. Was, I think that was his second book, you know, 20 years ago. And he, you know, has written about Revolutionary War sites before. Yep. Uh, Sam Baltrusis just put out a book recently about Revolutionary War Ghosts. Uh, there's numerous others. If you go on Amazon or walk into your uh, local bookstore, you'll find a, a bunch of those books. And what's interesting about it is you can read a book like what Jeff wrote 20 years ago or what Sam wrote a year ago or however many years ago he wrote it, just a couple probably. Um, but, you know, you can look at all those stories and yes, they will stay the same consistently because we're dealing with something that happened, you know, hundreds of years ago. But also those sites are living, breathing paranormal sites that are still having new experiences happen all the time. So even yeah. though you think a book is about the Revolutionary War ghosts, it's probably, you know, old. It's not. Well, how long ago was the Revolutionary War? Uh, I'm, uh, I can't do the math in my head, but... Well, going on 250. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I was born in 78, and I'm almost 50. I'm 43. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's almost 50. So... Minus a couple of years, 45, so uh, 245. Yeah. So then that was actually fast math for me. I hope I was right. <laughs> but the 
you know, the sites are still preserved around here. They're, they're not everywhere. Uh, you know, there's some places where, uh, especially with a lot of the battles. See, the big thing about our area in New England is, believe it or not, there weren't a lot of battles fought where we are. You know, on the south coast of Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, there were some. Uh, the first naval battle happened right off where we are. Yep. Uh, but there was a lot of, you know, it was more the bigger battles, the things that you, you were study in, the, in school. More the Boston area. Yeah. Or, and, and then even more so into New York and True. New Jersey. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you start looking at Valley Forge and all of that, like those are the things that, that stick out in people's minds because the war kind of migrated south uh, as it kept going. But, of course, it started at Lexington and Concord, which is about an hour's drive from here, a little over. It's about five minutes from where I work. And and so, you know, you know that there's plenty of sites up in that area that oh. still pay homage to it. Yep. Uh, around here, uh, we don't have, you know, many, many sites, but we have, you know, a stone's throw from where we are. Well, you'd have to throw a stone pretty good, but we have Fort Phoenix uh, here in Fairhaven, yep. which was a civil war, civil war revolutionary but war fort. Uh, and in fact, it was you know, still a port during the right. Civil War too. But. but it's it's you know it was built in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. And or for it, and then you have, uh, as I mentioned, the first naval battle happened in Buzzards Bay. Uh, they actually called it the battle off Fairhaven. Yep. Because it happened in the waters out there, uh, and then you have, um, you know, there's a lot of places around here that tie back to that time period and even before. So one of the places that you and I have had the opportunity to investigate tons of times is the Fearing Tavern in Wareham. Oh, yeah. That dates back to 1690, the oldest, yeah, the oldest the old part of the house. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're talking almost 100 years before the revolution. And then with the revolution taking place, you know, that was an important site both in that war and in the War of 1812. 1812 correct. So it, it ties back into the history of both of those wars. Uh, directly, and we've actually had the opportunity while investigating there to have connections, uh, things happen, evidence, whatever data, whatever you want to call it, that relates back to it. Yeah. Um, not to mention artifacts found within the place that date back to that time period when they started doing a couple of the renovations, in particular, like uh, the child's boot and various other little... Uh, odds and ends that they found in the walls um, when doing some of the work. Not to mention there's still writing and inscriptions on the walls from back then and before. And, you know, you can go to certain places. Uh, you know, for an example, we go to, um, well, I don't know if you've been there, but uh, I, I do investigations sometimes at the uh, Parson Barnard House, although I don't know if I still will be because the, the caretaker, Greg, has moved to, to another place. That's, um, up, that's up north, isn't it? Uh, north Andover. Yeah. And when you go into Didn't the Parson Barnard House, there's a closet that, in the closet, they have all of the wallpaper going all the way back to when the house was originally built, which was around, you know, you know shortly after the Salem Witch Trials. Mm -hmm. So you can see, oh, here's the wallpaper that was here during the American Revolution. And it's uh, it's crazy to think about that, to go to the Oliver House in Middleborough and yep. say, wow, here's a place that Benjamin Franklin has been and was involved in kind of the ruination of the Oliver family name uh, because they were loyalists and, and they were being exposed. And, like, when you look back at how much we can touch the revolution here, you know, it, it kind of... We, we kind of take it for granted sometimes. Yeah, because 
it's seen pretty much almost on a daily basis. You drive by this location, that location, that house, that house. And, of course, you know, there's no bigger Revolutionary War figure than George Washington. And George Washington's ghost has been reported <laughs> at a variety of places. Yes. I mean, if George Washington really did sleep at all the places that claim that George Washington has slept there across New England, we never would have won the Revolutionary War because he would have been asleep the whole time. Pretty much. <laughs> like, when did you actually fight, George? Uh, you were just, a, you know, here you are in this house sleeping, and then the next house, and then the next house. Like, you, you didn't bother to actually go out Our and do any fighting. president was a couch surfer. Huh? Uh, I think so. It sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, and his ghost is one of the most famous associated with the revolution because yeah. uh, his, he's still seen at Mount Vernon. And another place he's reported to have been seen that I've been to was um, Valley Forge. Valley mm -hmm. Forge is actually a pretty neat place. And what's interesting about Valley Forge is that's also where he had a spirit encounter himself that basically told him he was going to be leader of the country. You know. So what, what, what was that all about? Do you remember the details? Um. Basically, it, it was he was in a well. well I'll I'll just call it a, a funk, you know, feeling down about and bleak about the outcomes that. Well, if sure after Valley Forge, yeah, how could you not with yeah, what well, they were going the, through that yeah, whole winter? Yeah, well, this is during the pretty much the height of it, and in a walk in the woods, he encountered a glowing woman. As, as some people have put his accounts to, of saying. And this woman gave him basically a prediction of things to come, portent, if you will. And one of the things that she pointed out to him is that he will be the founder of this great country and these great things will happen because of him and what he's to do in the future. So the the... I'm paraphrasing it, but yeah. You know, the, the great men of this country, uh, the, the great founders, uh, and certainly those who fought in the revolution and, and those who kind of led the way afterwards, were a lot of them were uh, 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 Masons. Yeah. And so that would require a, a spiritual belief. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same God, but at that time it would have been. Believe, no, actually even back then. Uh, as you know, I am a Mason. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, like, it, it, the, the Masonic creed might have not called for it to be the same God, but they probably all did because of just who was here. You know, it wasn't like they had a lot of different belief systems at the time. Uh, okay, I see. I kind of see where you're right. going. The, 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 the Masonic creed probably allowed for it, but they didn't yeah, need uh, it because they all were of the same belief system. Uh, not well... Okay, yeah, Judeo-Christian mainly. Right. Mainly. You weren't getting a lot of, you know, Muslim beliefs, and uh, there probably wasn't even a whole lot of Jewish beliefs either at the time. So, you you know, you've you've got a pretty much a streamlined. Everybody kind of went congregational more than, you know, by denomination. Yeah. So everybody was kind of believing in the same God. But anyway, they, anyway. All, believed, they all believed in, in something spiritual. Yeah. And so naturally, it wouldn't be that, in my opinion, it wouldn't be that surprising to find out that they did look to the spiritual side for guidance, whether it be in the form of, you know, God or an angel or something like what you're describing. Yeah. And the other thing is 
a lot of them, you know, were also educated. Now, back then, education was expensive. Uh, not like it, <laughs> it isn't today either, but, you know, you had to actually have money to be able to attend universities because you had to have somebody taking care of the family. Right, otherwise you were working or farming or what have you. Yeah, so. Well, the, so looking at some of the sites that we do have and that we have had the opportunity to check out, uh, you know, I, I said that for us it kind of begins and ends with the Fearing Tavern because it's in our town. Yeah. You know, we live in Wareham, and and I've told this story before, but I used to work at the diner right behind it. I know it took me it took me all these years to admit it, um, but for for many many years um, I worked at That's that diner. That's where we met. Well, 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 yeah. It's 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 where you called me out and said, yeah. So I hear you do a show about the paranormal. paranormal. Yes. What do you know about the paranormal? <laughs> Very little. That's why I do the show. Oh, that's the right answer. Okay. So that's that was the first conversation we had about paranormal topics. Before that, you would just Matt, the sound guy, who yeah. would like yeah. brush me away whenever I asked you any questions while you were at the, the bar running the uh, the band, the it, sound for bands. It wasn't a personal thing. A lot of it had to do with me getting the shit ready. Well, I'm, 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 I'm sure it also had to do with the fact that I was probably annoying, but I was very interested no, in I, it. And at least you weren't like the lot of the drunks that would be, you know. I might have been, just not to you. No, no I mean, that, you, that you was, know that place. That place had, a, we'll call it characters. There's there's experiences about there that I could probably never talk about again. But <laughs> I was you. always I was always <laughs> the guy that um, you know would just be sitting there at the bar, quiet. Somebody would start a conversation with me. And then, uh, you know, next thing you know, I would be, you know, cracking them up and whatever. And they'd always be like, you're a cool guy. I want to smoke with you. Do you smoke? And I'd say, nope. nope. Uh, well, you come out and smoke with me anyway? Um, okay. And then just go out back and they would, you know, yeah. they're, not, they're not exactly smoking cigarettes. No. And I would just hang out there and keep making them laugh. And, you know, people would buy me drinks and, yeah, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I still I still can't believe I look at my son he's 17 okay he just turned 17 and I look at him and I think to myself I was only like four years older than you hanging out at that place like that's I wouldn't want you to be at that place four years from now but anyway that's a whole different story um, well that place was haunted of course yeah and I mean know, I, I not revolutionary war but that place that was one of the clearest Full daytime apparitions I've ever seen was in that building. By the way, we can't, if people are at wondering why we aren't saying the name of it, there's a reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the first ghost stories somebody told me in town well before Spooky South Coast existed. You know, the conversation came up with the bartender where he just told me about it. Yeah. And uh, and this was even before was I went in Tommy? there. Was that Tommy? No, it was uh, Paul. Okay. Uh, Paul told me about it before I was even old enough to go in there. Like, uh, you know, we were just, we would yeah. always have conversations and, and just, he brought it up one time and he, about there being a ghost. And I was like, oh, well, I got to check that out for myself, you know? And I was interested in it, but I didn't know that people go out and do research. And certainly I didn't know that you were into it or else I would have <laughs> said to you like, hey, Matt, sometime when you're setting up, can I come with you and we can look for the ghost? Okay. I, I, if you had said that, then you would have caught my attention. Yeah. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, but we we had the opportunity because I was always, 
you know, washing dishes in the back sink of uh, of the diner yep. and looking out the window over the back sink, and I would see the back end of the Fearing Tavern. And I knew that this was an old, old place. I don't think I knew at the time how old it was, but I would look at it, and I would I would always, and, and, you know, it was funny because um, the owner of the diner, Biff, you know, yep. rest in peace, uh, he used to always call them the Wareham Hysterical Society. Yeah. Because... <laughs> He's like he was not a good neighbor to them. Like they would they would get into arguments all the time about, you know, he'd be out there like revving his truck. And Him then, argumentative. I know, I know. And so he'd be out there like revving his truck while they were doing like some sort of historical event and all kinds of stuff. And you know, and it literally, if you walked out of the the back door of the diner kitchen, you know, you only yeah, had to the walk, width of a driveway. Yeah, you only had to walk about five feet before you could put your hand on the tavern. It was that close. So, it, you know, it was it was kind of contentious at times. But I would sit there at the back sink and I would look and I'd say, man, if any place was ever haunted, it'd be that place. I'd love to get in there and, like, just look for ghosts. And then as Spooky South Coast became a thing, yep. it dawned, you know, and uh, I don't think he minds me saying it now, but Matt Costa worked there with me. Um and so I think we finally decided one day, like, hey, let's just ask. Like, maybe they'll let us go in there and check it out. And I reached out to, oh, I don't even remember who I asked originally. Person? I, yeah, I, I don't know who I reached out to. I, I know that I sent an email, and I was told via email that I would have to go before the Wareham Historical commission or maybe maybe they told me the historical society and i just mistook it but anyway i had i I decided to go before the historical commission which meets once a month at the town hall and uh and i thought that you know i was in pretty good because one of the members of the historical commission was mac finney who was my teacher in high school and taught me av stuff and i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now if it wasn't for him um still one of the greatest people that i know yeah he was a pretty nice guy and, i remember him in high school and uh yeah he was a science teacher but also you know he was the av teacher i never had him for science he taught earth science i never had him for science but i did i did have him for av and, you know and i was always kind of the troublemaker that was pushing things too far and <laughs> he would always you know try to rein me back in but anyway so i go and i meet before the commission and and, and i get myself all dolled up you know uh, i got my uh, shirt and tie on you know, my dress pants, my dress shoes. I never dress up, uh, but I was really serious about this, and I had a whole presentation, a folder, and all this kind of stuff of all the things that we wanted to do. And my hook was that if you let us in and if we can find any proof of paranormal activity, that we could utilize that as a fundraising opportunity for the Wareham Historical Society. Okay. And so I go before the commission, and I make my whole speech, uh, you know, and I had to wait for them to start all their other business. And so then it's my turn and I go and I give them this whole presentation and I sit down and I'm pretty proud of myself. And they're like, thank you. That was, uh, that's very interesting and very informative. Unfortunately, we don't make that decision. You have to go before the Wareham Historical Society. <laughs> so then I had to wait like a whole other month to when they had their next meeting. And then I had to go through the same process and go before them. And, uh, and they, they liked the idea. And so they, they, I think, you know, at the time, Carolyn McMorrow was the president, and uh, she lives in the oldest house in Wareham, yeah. which is for sale. Um, if I had $500,000, that'd be what I'd be buying. It's a nice house. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, does her Lincoln collection come with it? It does not. Okay. Um, I know it was pretty cool when she's like, you can try <laughs> that hat on. Like, what? Yeah, it's one of Abraham Lincoln's hat. What? 
So anyway, um, but you know, she was she was the person that really allowed us to do it. And it was I think it was kind of like a little bit of a probationary thing, like you can come in here and we'll see how it goes, and then we'll talk about if there's gonna be anything else that happens after that. And we ended up booking the first investigation, uh, which if I remember right, it was you and I, Andrew Lake. Uh, we brought in Mike Markowitz yep. to run electronic voice phenomenon, uh, you know, setup. Uh, was there anybody else with us that first night? I, I think one other person. Uh, I want to think uh, female. I'm not sure. Maybe Luann was with us. I don't know. From Whaling City Ghost? Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe. I know she's been there with us. Yeah, I don't know if she was with us that first time. But anyway, we, yeah. we set up this this uh, investigation, and Mike comes in with his setup, which at the time was, uh, I think, 11 studio condenser microphones. So so condenser mics, just like we have here, yep. 11 of these, hardwired into his mixer. All throughout the building. Play, and and uh, it's just amazing how, how much, uh, you know, just how much cable he had. And so he he wires up the whole house, and then he sits the entire night. He was doing real-time EVP yeah. before anybody else was. Yeah, if you think about it, yeah. And so he was he was uh, sitting in the kitchen kind of monitoring all those microphones as we were walking around doing the investigation. And that's because it was where one of the only plugs were. That's true, too. <laughs> yeah, there's only one one room that has electricity. So, But we are sitting in there. Uh, you know, going around and, and, and part of what we were investigating was because a friend of ours, his daughter had had an experience there on a tour. Every fifth grade student in Wareham oh, yeah. goes to the Fearing Tavern for a field trip and they all used to hate it. They all used to roll their eyes. I mean, I shouldn't say all, but like they would roll their eyes when they had to go to the Fearing Tavern until they found out it was haunted. Now it changes yeah. everything. But they went through on this field trip. And as she was walking through the oldest part of the house, uh, one of the oldest rooms, she saw an old woman knitting in a rocking chair. And she just thought it was one of the docents from the Historical Society. Because and, they do occasionally dress up, period. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they usually do dress up for tours. Yeah. And so she just waved to her and the woman kind of waved back and nodded and went back to her knitting and, and the tour continued on. And so... She had said to the person at the end of the tour something about, you know, I really liked how the, the woman was sitting there knitting. And, you know, the typical line that happens when you talk <laughs> about that, the docent says, honey, I'm the only one working today. <laughs> and so that kind of freaked her out. And we brought her with us. Uh, I don't know how many years later it was, probably like 15 years after she had been there in that at that time. Yeah. And something so, like you know, yeah, she was in her 20s at the time. So we brought her with us and had her come through the house. And we took her into the room where she had the experience. We tried to recreate it. Nothing's happening. And then she went to another bedroom on the same floor and screamed. And she screamed because there was a photo on the wall of the old woman knitting, sitting in a rocking chair. And she freaked out because that was the person that she had seen. And my skeptical mind tells me... Oh, she must have seen that in the tour. She saw the photo in the tour, and that kind of made it, you know, mixed up in her mind. So I asked Carolyn about the photo, and I found out that that photo had only been recently discovered in someone's attic and hung up 
in the tavern. So it was not there when she would have gone on the tour 15 years ago. So it, it really was a kind of a cool moment. Um, but that's, you know, that's just... But the woman, that's one of the women tied to being in that house. Well, she's tied to the family. Yeah. She she lived in the other fearing house, which right. you got the chance to investigate. Right, but I'm saying the two were, they would travel back and forth, obviously. And one was a business, the other was a residence. Well, this one this one was a residence, too. The tavern was a residence yeah, by, but, by that point. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, what's funny is I actually knew there was a customer that would come into the diner whose family was the last family to live in the Fearing Tavern when it was a private residence. Uh, his family owned the diner when it was the Aikens, Aikens Diner, diner. Yep. and they lived in the Fearing Tavern building. That was their house. And he said that in those days, in the 1940s and 50s, when he was growing up there, it was just like a regular house. There was electricity all throughout. They had indoor plumbing. You know, it was just like any other home. But then, you know, the historical society got it because in 1960, if I believe was the correct time, the Aikens family so, sold the diner to Ernie Blanchard, and Ernie didn't want the tavern. He didn't need it. Uh, he actually had just built a house in Great Neck in Wareham, and he didn't need need this this tavern building. So he worked out a deal where he sold it to the Historical Society for $1. And so they took possession of it, and then they started the process of restoring it or Destoring it? I don't know. Bringing yeah. it back to what it was in, in the 19 and then, yeah, 1690 and then the other parts of the house in the 1700s. So they pulled out all the plumbing. They pulled out all the electricity and all that. And then he would tell us that, you know, the whole time he lived there, nothing strange ever happened. There was nothing weird that ever would have gone on that he could recall. So we're thinking, okay, when we go through, like, we're not expecting a lot hmm. because the historical society didn't really report anything. You know, we, we asked them. But remember, you're dealing with here in New England. What is your typical New England Yankee thing, stoic thing? You know, you don't talk about this. You know, and you got to remember, there's still a Puritan, quote unquote, leftover mindset in, here in New England. Am I wrong? I, I don't think so. Well... It, you, but also, they're only in there for brief periods of time. Mm. I mean, true. I'm sure they're there probably, you know, far more than like the tours that go on. But they're busy. They're not like going in there and spending the night. It, you know, it's it's yeah, uh, it, 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 could, taken, it could be happening around them and they might not even realize it. Uh, especially where, you know, we didn't have overt experiences. On that first investigation. On the first investigation. We had things... Subsequent ones, you know. <laughs> but we had things that came about because we brought the right equipment. Right. So, for, you know, for the course of the investigation itself, I don't know that we left there feeling very confident about, you know, how, how strong the activity was. We certainly had some things that went on. Yeah couple little bumps and bangs and noises but we we but, probably yeah. were like okay we can check that off our list and didn't really think about you know maybe maybe uh you know maybe we'll go back uh once or twice more but it's not going to become some place we can go all the time uh mainly because we i just think like we needed to spend more time in there to have those type of experiences yeah. but so we left for the night. Mike went home. I think it was like a week or so later. He called us up and said, hey, I've, I've got the results of going through all my audio. 
and I want to play it for you. And I said, well, what did you get? <laughs> and he's like, I'd rather play it for you instead. So we made we made this idea, uh, we, we made this plan to have him come to the diner after we had finished on a Sunday because we closed early on Sunday. And you came by yep. and, and we sat at a booth with him and he brought his little speaker tied to his computer and uh, and he's like, okay, I've got like, I forget the exact number, like 137 Class A EVPs. And we're like, what? Nah, yeah, we were all like, right. Like at this time, I wasn't really that well-versed in the paranormal and I was repeating the line that, you know, I had heard so frequently that you're lucky if you get one Class A EVP in your career. And by the way, if you're listening, that, that's total garbage because... I've only been doing this for 15 years and I've probably gotten dozens of class A EVPs and I don't do anything special. I don't do anything different than anybody else does. You can get them. Uh, I just think that it was, that's a convenient line to throw out there because they want to make, and it, a lot of it comes from TV and TV wanted to make it seem special when they got one. Yeah. 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 But I would say it's far more common than you think. Uh, and in fact, when people are like, Oh, we want to play for you the EVPs that we got. I'm like, is it going to be a bunch of things like what says get out and, you know, hello and like, like, I, yeah, I, I always like to hear them, but I also find them to be, you know, mundane at this point, unless there's something really, you know, interesting and different because I think you can get them all the time. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he says he's got all these class A EVPs and we're like, no way. He proceeds to play every single one of them for us. And we're floored. We can make out clearly everything that's being said. Uh, we are getting direct responses to things that we're talking about in the room. And not just single word responses. No. We're talking full-blown sentences. And sounds. Yeah. And, you know, it just was, it was incredible. It was so incredible that I didn't know that we could go back to the historical society and present this to them because they, they wouldn't <laughs> believe it. And, you know, when talking about the revolution, a couple of things that, that, that tie in directly to that. Yeah. It, you know, we were asking questions about it. Yeah, because we had known some of the history about the house during the revolution. And and some of it was in question. Yeah. So yeah. we wanted to see if we could get the spirits to give us answers. Uh, because, you know, there's a lot of mysteries around the house. One of them was... Lore. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and some of it has become kind of, you know... It's just become the legend, so people just keep repeating it. Yep. For example, you know, the hidden room. Yeah, uh, which isn't really uh hidden. No. There's yeah. there's this there's this little passageway from one bedroom to another, and the story goes that the family at the time was a loyalist family, and they would hide British soldiers in there so that when the Revolutionary Army came through you know, they wouldn't be captured. So they would hide these soldiers in this in this hidden room. Now, first of all, like, Moniz and I can't get in there comfortably together. So, I mean, how are you going to put a bunch of soldiers in there, first of all? Second of all, it's been pretty much decided that it's not really a hidden room as much as is it was. A the, shared closet? Well, no, it was when the new part of the house was built onto well, the old I mean, part of the house. Well, I mean, but they used it as uh, a I, shared closet. Maybe, but they just, they, they couldn't make one wall flush with another. Right. So they just created this little passageway between the two. Uh, also, you got to think too. In those days, uh, fire was a real issue. Yeah. So you had to have you know multiple exits out of the room, and if the way that it's set up, like you wouldn't have had another way to get out of this room if it was coming up the back way, you know. So you need yeah, to have another the way, way unless they made, you're going out the window. Yeah, because the stairway design that they had there 
if you were in that room, those stairways were right out there and you uh, in the front. And there would have been no other way out. Yeah, if the front stairs for the front room would have been a problem and the back stairs for the back, the back room. room. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely needed to have other ways through. And, and really, like, most of the house has that. Like, yeah. you know, there's, there's a whole separate part in the back of the house where there's actually a window that you would crawl through, through. to get from yeah. one part to the other unless you were going up the other separate staircase, um, which is a very cool design and a really easy way to freak people out yeah. when you're on an investigation, <laughs> when you hide in there and they don't yeah, know how you got there. Yeah. Um, I, I'll still never remember walking through there the first time and they didn't show us that back part first and we're coming up that middle part and I'm like, what is there? Is you that just see another this, room? You just see this window and you're like, there's a whole other part of the house through yeah. here. Um, but anyway. How do I get there? No, you gotta go down these stairs. And then the I other just, side I went and through the window anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is not easy for me. But the, as, as we're going through, we're asking questions related to the revolution and getting answers related to the revolution. And uh, there was somebody who said, I remember there was somebody who said something about the crown, a female voice said something about the crown. Uh, and then um, at one point you had asked, you know, where the spirit lives. Yep. And you got back a very interesting response. Ziatic. And it came through with a, with a German, German accent. accent to it, which... If you know revolutionary history... And the, what they issued uh, or stationed out here weren't a lot of actual British regulars. They were Hessians. Yep, they, they hired German soldiers to come and, you know, uh, fight on their behalf. And, and from my understanding, as much as the British tried to follow, you know, the rules of engagement, the Hessians were not. Right. So they, they were kind of mercenaries. Um, so if there was a, a mercenary being quartered there in the attic, you know, that's pretty interesting because you got to think even, even a loyalist, which we found out by the way, that they probably weren't. Um, but you know, even if you have that, that's still a rough customer for them to, to keep in quartered in their house. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we kept going through, I was actually talking to my friend Aaron who went to, uh, just moved to town and went to the fearing tavern for the first time today. And he said one of the coolest parts that he thought was the little mouse hole down on the first floor. <laughs> and the funny part is when we were walking through there, uh, I was just like, hey, what's this hole over here? Yeah. And the the voice comes through on the EVP and says, we got mouse holes over here. So the, the, ghost, answered, the, the, the ghost answered that question for me. So yeah. thanks, ghost. Um, but we got a, a bunch of other things as we went through. Uh, one of the interesting ones was... Uh, there was a sound that sounded like the an gate. iron gate slamming yeah. shut. And a voice says right after that, Christ did penance. Mm -hmm. And so um, Mike Markowitz's impression of that was that this spirit was saying uh, the, you know, if, if, if Christ did penance, I can too. And so he said it sounded like somebody was being locked up. And he was like, no, well, Christ did penance. So can I like, like, I, you know, fortifying themselves yeah. what they had to go through and we asked and they're like no there's no iron gates we went down into the uh, tavern area and checked out that gate and you know that wasn't yeah. that was a wooden gate wooden gate so i talked to charlie who had lived there before and he's like there was never any kind of iron gate when i lived there, there was like nothing in the basement yep. that you could have like locked up like dry goods or something uh, because they did have problems where uh when they were bringing the dry goods from the river to the tavern, uh, Native American raiding parties would come and take their stuff. Yep. And then during the War of 1812, 
you know, the British would take their stuff. So it's possible that they might have wanted to lock stuff up. Uh, certainly liquor and anything like that. Nope, no, no history of an iron gate. It wasn't until just a few years ago when we were investigating when um, somebody went around in the attic level to the far side, so the side next to the diner parking lot. Okay. On the side of the, so they're in the attic, which is one of the coolest attics you'll ever see. Yeah. They have these these big wooden staircases. The they're almost, they're more like ladders, but you can walk up them standing up, and they go up to these skylights. You know, for lack of a better term, they were yeah. like hatches that you would open up to let the warm air out. Um, because otherwise, you know, they had no it's airflow air, in the house. It's air conditioning, right. a per day type of thing. So those long staircases still exist. And on the far side of one of them, oh, he the discovered there were notches made in the wood. Yep. Like somebody was counting They're down also, something. I think the hinges are still and, in them. And then we found the bores in yeah. the wood where they would have had the... And so then it has become to find out and talking to the historical mm-hmm. society, they found out that they probably jailed people up there because the tavern was the center of town. It was the post office. It was the meeting house. It was where they were doing all the business of the town. And if you were going to lock somebody up, why not lock them up in the hottest part of the place, you know? Um, and, and so it's entirely possible that that's where somebody was kept. So that could be tied into what we caught with that sound, which is very cool. But, you know, we're finding that out 15 years later, <laughs> you know, a dozen years or so later, however long it took, uh, was was pretty interesting. Then uh, I'm trying to think of just some of the other ones we got before we get into, you know, the really creepy ones. Oh, uh, but yeah. the, the uh, and, and I'll, I'll, what I'll do is during the break, I'll set it up. And when we come back on the other side, we'll play probably the most significant EVP that we caught there, which I think a lot of people have probably heard before, but we'll just play it again one, one more time. The one from the basement? Yes. Okay. But one of the interesting ones... The little girl? Yeah. One of the interesting ones that we caught actually came uh, from Mike's handheld recorder, which you know how everybody goes out there now with those Zoom recorders yep. and, you know, they have with the, the the parabolic microphones and they have all of these, you know, fancy gadgets for recording sound now. He had all that stuff first. And he had one of those Sony handheld recorders like that that was, um, I think, you know, at the time, I think he paid like a 1000 bucks for yeah. it. Now you can get them for a couple of hundred, but um, he took that with him down into the basement. And to go into the basement, you have to do this really weird maneuver because it's so small. <laughs> you have to open the door. Step in, walk shut in, the door. Close the door behind you. And then start walking down the stairs, and then the next person has to do the same thing, and you know, so it's it, it's it's a tight squeeze. But as we're all going down the stairs, he had that handheld recorder going, and he caught the voice of a little girl, and the little girl, in a very sing-songy voice, says, "Want to play dress up?" Yep. And we're gonna play one that coming up that's pretty creepy, but the little girl creeps me out even more, uh, especially because. Who knows? Like, who knows who that girl might have been? Uh, and, and and certainly, you know, with any one of these EVPs that we caught, they might not be who they say they are. True. But we've never really seen any reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, but how long... The, the building is going on, what, 400 years old in some parts? So, I mean, it's entirely possible that, you know, there was a little girl that 
lived there at some point and would have stayed behind or came back. You know, she might have lived to be 90 and then her child spirit came back or, you know, like there's a lot of possibilities for it. But it doesn't mean that it necessarily has to be anything negative. Uh, And then, you know, on subsequent trips there, we've we've only had more and more activity take place. Um, I believe it was... We were there with somebody... I remember it was somebody we had brought for a special thing, like a like a newspaper or magazine article or something. We had brought someone there, and that was the night that we were all in the kitchen, and then we could hear the, conversation the woman, on the second the floor. The women upstairs on the second floor, yeah. We heard two women talking, and everybody that was in the building was down in the kitchen, and we heard the two women talking. We couldn't make out what they were saying, but they were getting very excited. Yeah, it was definitely going, women, and they were animated. They were going, like, one would get louder, and then the other one would get louder, and then the other one would get louder, but we couldn't really kind of make out what they were saying, but you could you could hear this conversation, and, and somebody, I don't remember if it was you or not, but somebody went outside, made sure there was nobody yeah. around the building, because, you know, it's possible if somebody was in the diner parking lot we would have heard it um but you know you you spatially can pinpoint things this was definitely upstairs it was directly over our heads uh well i shouldn't say that like at the top of the stairs diagonally yeah 45 degrees and and you can pinpoint that pretty well and you do learn the sounds of this place because you are close to the main road so you're going to hear cars come by and you know it's it's funny we've been there in the winter time and you don't you never realize how many people are driving motorcycles in the wintertime until you're there and you can hear them come by and you're like, wait a minute, it's like one o'clock in the morning and yeah. in in November Remember. and somebody's <laughs> out riding a motorcycle, like more power to you. But um, it just has slowly increased in the activity as we've gone on. And actually, the one of the last times that we were there, we were running an Estes, not an Estes, uh, an Echovox session yeah. in the tavern and the tavern part, you know, the, the, the room is kind of set up like it would have been when it was the original tavern. Uh, but a lot of people pass through there. You know, a lot of people coming from Boston probably stopped in there, heading down to the Cape or wherever else. I mean, it was a, a waypoint for a lot of people. And well, Wareham was also a seaport. Right. So you've got people coming in aboard the ships, you know, if they even sailing from Boston yeah. to Wareham. And, and so if you've if you've got people coming into the South Coast area, they're probably coming through this area, uh, coming through this tavern. And we know that Benjamin Franklin was at the Oliver House, uh, which means it's plausible that he might have been at the Fearing Tavern at some point. So we're just kind of asking questions about, you know, actually, I think it actually the Echovox mentioned Benjamin Franklin. We're like, oh, has he been here? And they're like kind of talking to us, oh, what do you think about him? And it basically just called him every bad name in the book. <laughs> so whoever was there didn't like Benjamin Franklin, uh, but certainly shared how um, he had been through there. We're, as I said, we are going to take a break when we come back on the other side. And I don't mean to keep harping on, on, um, on the Fearing Tavern. We can talk about some other sites as well, but I just find this to be like one of my favorite places and, you know, here we are now in the summertime. The, they're back open for tours. I don't think they're doing their um, 4th of July antique fair. Oh, I can check during the break and see. But um, that's always like their biggest fundraiser of the year. And so they usually have the tavern open on the 4th of July and the meeting house open so that people can actually go and check it out for themselves. Uh, so 
Are they going to open the other buildings too, or they not? usually they usually do on okay. when they have the uh, when they have the antique fair. They just open up the doors and people can go and check them out. Uh, but I'll check and see if they're doing that tomorrow. But even if they're not, you can call the Wareham Historical Society and book a, book a tour, and they're happy to run the tours for you. And uh, they do have it open for certain hours every day during the summer. And it's just a couple of bucks. And it's well worth it to have the chance to go through a place from 1690. And they don't mind if you're, you know, poking around and talking to the ghosts. Um, and, of course, be careful. Um, but the the other buildings, too, have started to come alive with activity over the different years that we've been there. And and a lot of people have been asking, like, are we going to go back there and do do a, an investigation there? Uh, and I, I have to talk to them still, but I'm sure we can get something done by the end of the year because... Of course, we want to help them out with yeah. losing all of last year for tourism. I'm sure that they're behind the eight ball and a lot of the things that they want to do. And if we can help them out with one night where we can, you know, help them raise some money, we'll be happy to do that. Also, when you do go there and you take the tour, uh, if you go over into the meeting house, they usually have for sale the book that was written about the Fearing Tavern, the history of the tavern by Raymond Ryder. And they only charge a couple of bucks for the book. So I think it's like 2 or $3 for a hardcover book. Grab it. And absolutely. I've got multiple copies. And uh, it's, it's worth grabbing just to have a book on local history. But also you can really dive deeper into the tavern. And, and you'll realize how special it is to have a place as old as that is here and still available like most of the old buildings like that that are still around new england for those of you who aren't from here they've been turned into like restaurants and bed and breakfasts and you know you're not getting in there unless you're paying 50 bucks a plate yeah. or 200 bucks for the night and you know to be able to get in there for a couple of bucks and take a tour or you know for short money and come and do an investigation with us with you know a portion of that going back to help the historical society like take advantage of that because there's not a lot of places that can claim that here in the United States. Certainly, you know, in Europe, you have sites that are that old and older. Yeah. But, you know, when we have people that tell us, oh, I've, I've investigated the oldest place in my town. It's 110 years old. You know, we just kind of laugh. <laughs> and we're like, 110? <laughs> the the, the uh, toilet paper holder at the uh, places we go to is older than that, you know? So we have, we have, um, a, we're very fortunate to have a lot of great historical sites, but we also know that in getting to go to these places and investigate them and, and hang out there and, and, and become friends with the people that run them and all that, we have a responsibility to make sure that we keep that history going and that we keep uh, allowing them to utilize that for revenue. So coming up in the next hour, we'll play that other EVP for you. If you haven't heard it before, I promise you it'll creep you out. Uh, if you are someone who has had experiences there or familiar with any kind of Revolutionary War site, feel free to give us a call, 508-996-0500. That's the number to call in. We'll also get into the Oliver House when we come back as well, and uh, we can talk about some other Revolutionary Ghost stories. If you want to take part in a ghost hunt with us, all you have to do is follow us on social media. Spooky, SpookySouthCoast.com uh, is our website. At SpookySouthCoast is our Facebook handle. And then you can catch us on Twitter at SpookySC. And whenever we have anything going on, we'll, uh, we'll announce it all on social media. And we will also tell you when we come back to uh, some of the more interesting experiences that we've had at some of these places. We want to hear yours, too. Stay tuned. More Spooky South Coast coming up in just a bit. 
Welcome back. Our number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. We are talking about ghosts of the American Revolution. We've been talking about the Fearing Tavern, uh, which is in Wareham, Massachusetts. It is the pride and joy of the Wareham Historical Society, although they have multiple buildings that you can check out and tour, including the uh, the Kendrick House, uh, which is the Kendrick Museum, yeah. Captain Kendrick Museum, which is, uh, don't go to the Kendrick House, that's not theirs, yeah, but the Captain Kendrick there. Museum is, um, is a place that you can uh, go and visit and take a tour of, and they also have the uh, the old schoolhouse that's right there next to the old meeting house and then the Union Chapel all right there uh, across from the Fearing Tavern. It's a great little spot uh, where they've been able to put all the historic buildings together. Uh, I'm still very sad that um, they couldn't work out a way to get the old Toby Homestead from South Coast Health and transfer oh, that, that down to the area. Great to have there. So the, you know, there was a lot of back and forth about it. Um you know, South Coast Health, from my understanding, had said they could just have it, but they had to move it. And, of course, it would have been something like fifty dollars or $60,000 to move it. And then it came about that it was not structurally sound enough to be able to withstand being moved. So, yeah, it's a shame it's now been torn down and it's going now they're expanding the emergency room. So we lost that historical building, but they still have some great ones over there for you to check out. And uh, also, I looked up on the website. I don't see anything. I don't think they're having the antique fair this year. Uh, so, you know, we'll just have to keep an eye out for if it's going to make a comeback next year. Uh, the The antique fair is always a lot of fun. I mean, when I used to work at the diner, I used to just pop over there. Because I'd get out of work, you know, around one or two, and I could just walk across the street and go check it out. And I always came away with something. Uh, and, and you could actually bring down your own antiques if there was something that you wanted to buy. Uh, you could buy it. You could sell it. You could do anything that you wanted. And, of course, they would always have the, the buildings open for people to check out as well. Uh, well, we were talking about that first night we ever investigated the Fearing Tavern, and I mentioned that we got a rather interesting example of electronic voice phenomena. Now, as we were saying before, Mike Markowitz was with us. He's the EVP guru. And he was recording on his condenser mics all around the house, but he also had his handheld unit. And so he took that with us down into the basement. We, the basement was a, <laughs> definitely a spot of legend because sure. we had heard stories and rumors that there was a tunnel underneath the Fearing Tavern that went out to the Tremont Nail Factory. And we actually went over to the Tremont Nail Factory, uh, which is, you know, it's been shut down now for a number of years. Uh, they actually have some plans to turn it into some different things. Uh, but for right now, I think they're still in the process of putting all that together. And there's been a spirit that's been known to walk across the street. Well, there. there's, there's, listen, I've been to the Fearing Tavern and done some investigation on the grounds. And I can tell you that I have caught, you know, some EVPs there. I've seen some shadow people around there. There's a lot of activity going on in that building. But we just wanted to go over there to find out if there was a tunnel. Yeah. And we went to the, so there's a herring run. Yep. And then next to the herring run, there's the part where the river would come into the nail factory to power the you know, the equipment they were running it with water yeah. power. And so you can actually walk in. I mean, you shouldn't do this because it's trespassing. We had permission. We were with uh, people from the town. 
Uh, but we walked into that area and we realized it's possible. It's possible that there could be a, tav- a, a, a tunnel to the tavern, but it's probably been sealed off on both ends. So when we were in the tavern basement investigating it, now it's been completely uh, concreted over and they put some crushed gravel down because they were having some problems with humidity. Yep. And so, and then they, they put, they've, um, they put plastic the over the walls and, yeah. and you know you can still see all of the all of the burn the, the how the wood is all singed from when there was a fire but we were in the basement at that time and they didn't have all that stuff done yet and the floor was a concrete floor but there was some dirt over it and everything and as we were down there you know we're trying to figure out if there might be a spot where there was a tunnel and so I picked up a broom handle and I was banging Bang, on the floor, yep. and I'm like, "Nope, solid, 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 solid." And then I get to and I'm like, "Oh, hollow." Yep. Oh, it sounds hollow here. What's going on? Oh, what's this? So, I mean, it could have just been like an old well. It could have been you just know, a void under. Yeah, it could have been. There's a variety of different things, but you know, I'm convinced that this is the tunnel. So I start trying to clear off the dirt that was over the concrete with my feet. I don't know what I thought that was going to do like clearing the dirt off the concrete. There's still concrete there between me and the hole. Yeah. But I was just, you know, just a natural reaction. And we always talk about the energy that a spirit needs to be able to manifest itself, to to make something move, to speak to us, anything like that. And I think that in this particular moment, because a bunch of us were all around there, like moving the dirt around with our feet, I think we all kind of were putting out some excess energy and the kinetic energy of that motion might have been what kind of fueled this EVP that came through on Mike's handheld recorder. And when he played this for us uh, the first time, our mouths just dropped because this is not, this isn't a word. This isn't a sentence. This is a, a, a couple of sentences. This is a statement. And it comes through very strongly. So I'm going to play that for us. Uh, give me a second here. Make sure I put up the right things here and turn that on. It's been a while since I played something off this computer. So this EVP was captured in the basement of the Fearing Tavern as we're shuffling our feet. So you're going to hear the sound of the shuffling, and that's what you're going to hear, but you're going to listen for the voice that's coming through within that. So what you heard there was you heard it twice, back to back, and we're going to tell you what we think was being said there. And what it's saying is, hey, Ashford, I killed Grandpa Ash. I just knew that you'd feel the pain. And then we stop, and then we start again. And so the next part that comes through is the voice saying, then you can consider it a gift. So I'm going to play it again. And we'll kind of narrate through it to see if you hear the same thing at the same time. So 
Just give me a second here. And so uh, what we'll do is we'll say it as it happens. Uh, helps if you hit play, Tim. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to put it on the louder version. Give me one second. Okay. All right. So here we go. We'll play it through. <clears throat> hey, Ashford, I care grandpa. I just knew that you feel that pain. I'm reading too fast. Then you can consider it. I didn't, really, I didn't really get the uh, the flow correctly there, but yeah. you get the idea. Uh, so it's better with headphones when you're it, listening. It, it to definitely it. is, and still one of. And, and by the way, uh, if you want to hear it better, all you have to do is just go to YouTube to the Spooky South Coast channel because we've uploaded that there. Uh, and that's actually where we got it from. I was just playing it off the YouTube channel. If you type in EVP from the Fearing Tavern in Wareham, Mass, on YouTube, it'll come up. Or Spooky South Coast, Fearing Tavern, EVP, any of that stuff. Because, you know, we wanted to put it out there for people to be able to access it anytime they wanted to hear it. Do we have the little girl want to play dress up? Uh, that is in Mike's book. Oh, so copyright. Yeah, so if you want to if you want to pick up a copy of Mike's book, it's called EVP, Electronic Voice Phenomenon, Massachusetts Ghostly Voices, I believe is the title. Yep. Uh, and if you pick that up, it has a CD that comes with it. Yep. And in that CD, you can get a lot of these EVPs that we're talking about from the Fearing Tavern. This is one that we got permission to be able to use outside of that CD. Uh, but you can hear uh, all kinds of uh, stuff that we caught there that night and stuff that Mike's caught in his career, including he calls it the gates of heaven, and, and I, I can't deny that if there is a sound of the gates of heaven opening up, it's got to be what Mike Markowitz captured in that recording. And it, that alone is worth picking up the book, uh, which you can get it from Amazon, or I know it was uh, Schiffer Books that put it out originally. And if you go to your local bookstore and ask for it, they'll be able to get it too. Um, but it's, it's some of the most amazing stuff, and it's all right there for you, and the book goes through it. Uh, chapter by chapter and you can play along the EVPs as you are reading the book so and you can catch all those ones we were talking about like the Hessian soldier yep. the sound of the iron gate closing the mouse holes all that stuff is uh, is all part of that as well as all of his other great investigations that he had done going into that book as well uh, now one of my favorite moments of being you know, I shouldn't say favorite because it was really weird but being at the Fearing Tavern and having the spirit from another location follow you, yeah. reach out and say like, hey, yeah. I not only am I here, I can kind of reach out to you anytime. You know, that kind of weirded me out, especially because like I, I consider the Fearing Tavern to be home turf, you know? So yeah. when I have the ghost, of the, the you know, the entity, the dark entity that I, I call it, that lives at the Lizzie Borden house, you know, reaching out to me. And calling you. That's that's a little bit much for me. Yeah, but uh, it still happened, and it still was very very interesting to have that happen because other people heard it and witnessed it and, and knew exactly what was going on uh, when that when that occurred. Just to take a shift over because we've been talking about some Revolutionary War places that we've been to multiple times, I want to shift over to the Oliver Estate. Okay, which uh, just celebrated its 250th anniversary last year. And as we mentioned before, it's a place that Benjamin Franklin visited 
uh, and it's a place where he helped kind of ruin the uh, the Oliver family reputation because, as it turns out, they were providing information back to uh, the Crown during the Revolution. But I'd always heard about that place for many, many years before I had the chance to finally get there. And when I finally did get there, it didn't disappoint. In fact, you know, some of our friends were just there last night. And I, you know, Melody, who used to do yep. uh, the news here for us uh, when we used to have the Weekend Weird, she, Melody Knapp, she's part of a group called the Ghost Finders, and they were there last night doing an investigation. And she was kind of asking me, because she was going to be stationed in the basement, she was asking me, you know, are there any particular areas I should pay attention to or any equipment that you recommend that I bring or anything like that? And I said, you lucked out because you got the... You got the absolute best assignment in that house as far as I'm concerned. That basement is one of my favorite places to investigate it because I have repeated examples of the same phenomenon, but then different things also happen every time I go there. You notice that a lot of basements we've been to have had a lot of activity. Winchenden House. Well. Okay. I can run down a list. <laughs> the most, my most recent trip being one of my favorites when uh, we caught the... Um, the ghost in the bathtub that oh. was uh, <laughs> self-pleasuring. Yeah. But the, uh, which you can also see that on YouTube. Uh, but the, yeah, the basements to me, I think it's because. The stone? Maybe that's part of it. Uh, but I also think it's because the places that we go to, maybe not with Winchenden having a, a, a history to the basement, but certainly at the Oliver House, you know, that basement yeah. has a history being part of the Underground Railroad. Um, you know, when we had. The experience at the, uh, were you with me in the basement of Edaville when we were in the room where the, oh, the Atwood family is going to get mad that I'm talking about this on the air. We were in the room where the boiler exploded Yeah, and took out, well, well didn't, I, I've didn't been kill, to the basement. But were you with me when we were there and we saw Althea Atwood coming down the stairs in her wedding dress? No. No, okay. I wasn't there. I wasn't there at that time. I was, you weren't in the room. You were on, on yeah. the property, but yeah. yeah. That that to me is still, like, that's the one time that I've seen a full-blown, full-bodied apparition without any doubt in my mind coming directly at me, arms outstretched. I can make out the expression on her face. Um, and uh, there's other people in the room, and I'm like, Oh my God! Like, is everybody else seeing this? And everybody was describing seeing exactly the same thing. And after it was over, I turned to the person next to me and I said, "Is there any like rational way that we could all be seeing something incorrectly and all perceiving it as the same thing, or anything like that?" And the woman says, "Well, listen, I know what I just saw, and..." I forget the exact term that it was, but she's some sort of ocular specialist. Yeah. Like in that specializes in like mis misperceptions of the eye. And she's like, yeah, no, like we all just saw a real ghost coming down the stairs. I just realized something, you know, what was happening the same time you're, you were having that ghost sighting. No. You know where I was stationed and where Andy was. I don't remember. I was, in where the caboose thing was set up and Andy was over in Dino Land mm -hmm. or whatever. At that particular time, we had that UFO 
that took off out of the um, the cranberry bog. Yeah, oh, I mean, I think no, I think it was the last time that we were there when it was just you and I when we were walking through Dino Land and we heard the voices. Yeah, that was creepy too. And like, even the people that worked there were freaked out because they're like, yeah. "Who's out there?" Yeah, like nobody's supposed to be here. Yep. And then they went and looked, and yeah, nobody was out there. A lot of weird stuff in that Edaville, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah we're gonna we're, kind of we're gonna have to go back there too. Um, it might be a little bit easier to get to get into there. I'll have to find out what their plan is uh, for this year. But we, you know, going back to the Oliver House in the basement there. I mean, I've had. Every time I've gone, I've had shadow people experiences down there. And like Lizzie Borden's shadow experiences? Uh, so, yeah, no. Like that one stayed away from us and made us chase it. Yeah. This is walking right up to us, getting in our face, walking between us. So, usually what we do is I, I, I do the same procedure every single time. Like Houghton Mansion type of experience? Uh, although that wasn't a basement, but um, kind of, sort of, to when you know, because they they reach out and touch your hand. Yeah, but not that was a little bit more of a like a reluctant thing. Okay, this is more like a territorial thing almost. So I go through the same procedure. I have everybody go down the stairs and go up against the far wall, the wall that would basically go against the the garden in the backyard. And I have everybody line up against that wall. And then we close the hatch because the basement, you have to open a hatch to get down to the staircase. So we close the hatch so that we're secured in there. And then we turn off all the lights. I, I don't even want to see the red light from your recorder. And people get mad, but I tell them it's worth it. You got to shut off everything. We're not taking photos. We're not running EVP. Like this is silent time to kind of attune yourself to the house. And when we do that, it only takes a couple of minutes and the shadow people start to come out and they will start walking toward us. They'll get right up in our faces. They, you know, they will walk between the people that are standing there and we actually had somebody freak out and, and leave. Like we had just started the investigation. This is the first thing we did and she got so freaked out by it. She just ran up the stairs, got in her car and left because the shadows are... There, they're real, they're solid, they're in front of you, they're looking at you, and not everybody can handle that. It sounds like experiences I've had at like Waverly Hills. It, it's, it's very unnerving when they do that. It's very much like that. It's very much that you are, you know, that you're dealing with something that is real and has an intelligence to it. And so, like I said, it's not for everybody. And other weird things happen around that too. So, I've actually had the experience of, you know, because we were trying to stay in the dark. Yeah. We get mad if somebody turns on the lights and tries to come down the stairs. And it, it always happens. Like we tell everybody now or next time, not in the middle of, you know, like we either come down with us now or you're going to have to wait till we come back up and do another session because you're not coming down in the middle of the session. Because every time you turn that light on, everybody's eyes have to readjust and everything. Yeah. Takes, and so it takes five minutes for it to readjust. And usually you're interrupting something pretty cool that's happening. So one time the lights come on and we're like, hey, who turned those lights on? We see some legs start walking down the stairs. And like, who is that? Like, come on, what are you doing? And no answer. 
when the legs get right to the bottom of the stairs, like to the point where you'd start to see the rest of the person, sure, so. the legs just disappeared. And the light went off. So <laughs> it probably wasn't a person. <laughs> so that was one thing that happened. And then another time, it might have been the same time, but another instance was, see, as you're sitting there, in the dark, you'll start to get these light anomalies that will happen around the basement, these weird lights that will pop up. And it's kind of interesting to see, like, where they go and what, what they might be doing. And, you know, you always are cautious of the fact that there are some windows. This is not on a street. Mm -hmm. There's woods around it between Route 44 and the Oliver House. There's, you know... A, a, a campground quite, across the street. But there's quite a drive up the driveway to sure. get to the main road. So there's trees that are blocking all that off. And so the only way you really get any lights coming into that basement are if cars are coming up and down the driveway or if somebody goes out the back door, the side door, and triggers the motion sensor. Uh, so you learn what those lights are. But yet we'll still get these weird anomalies that will pop up. And at one time, this bar of light, I would say it looked like maybe like a like a three-foot um, fluorescent light, you know, those the, yeah. the, 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 the bars. Um, but instead of, it wasn't long ways, it was vertical. And it was floating in the middle of the room. It was like a bluish, whitish light, just floating in the middle of the room. And then we watched it move from left to right, about a three or four Still foot in space. vertical. Yep, didn't move. It just stayed, like it didn't uh, it didn't spin, I should say. It stayed straight up and down vertical, and it moved three to four feet across the basement and then just disappeared again. And everybody saw it. We're like, what is that? Why why would that happen? We were trying to recreate it. Is it light reflecting off something else? Was it something somebody was projecting with some of their equipment? We couldn't we couldn't duplicate it. But it we all saw it. Just it just was like almost like um you know, like when a, a Jedi turns on their their Lights lightsaber and the light just goes. Zoop. So this just instead of like growing like that, it just, it just appeared peered. and then floated and then disappeared and it was very very weird. Uh, and of course, then we go into the old underground railroad part, and it's a little bit of a tight squeeze in there. But when you're over there, you will absolutely get, you know, shadow people in that area that are. They seem to have the personality of who might have been hiding there because they're very timid and they're very afraid to come out. Um, but you do encounter them. So, you know, for my money, that's the, the best place in the house. I know other people will argue and they've had great experiences other places. You know, I saw, again, you know, I, I've never, I've only had that one full-bodied apparition that I can say is definitely one because I saw it coming at me. But one of the times that I had something that I thought might have been another possibility was the first time I ever visited, and it was, you know, broad daylight. Christy was taking me around the house, and we got up to the second floor, and we were on the second floor, the furthest rooms toward, like, 44. Okay. And I'm in the back room at that wall, and then when I, I turned to go into the other room, uh, which is the front bedroom on that side, and between them is a little, like, walk-in closet type thing that connects the two rooms. And as I turned around and I looked down there, I saw a man walking across that room and then walked straight out the wall that goes out to the outside, you know, the exterior wall. Hmm. Like just walked across in front of the doorway and then just disappeared. Which 
I said to Christy, I was like, well, and she's like, yeah, it happens. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's certainly, you know, you, you, there's, there's certainly a lot of experiences that can be had in other parts of that house, but I'm going to run to the basement every single time. Okay. And then, I mean, I know you've I, been there. I've been there. I haven't had a chance to actually investigate, investigate there. I would love, love a chance to just, you and I maybe grab Andy, one or two other select people and do a weekend there. Well, that's, that's going to get expensive. They're, they're booked up, man. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. But you can, you can rent it out if you are interested in going and investigating. They do have, um, you know, quite a schedule of stuff planned. So you can go, I think it's like 40 bucks to go take part in one of their uh, pro nights or one of their, um, you know, novice nights. They do, you know, they, they have special nights that are set up for people that have never investigated before or only have a little bit of experience. And then they have other nights that are for people that are seasoned investigators. But it's, I think it's like $40 to attend for the night. And all the money goes right back into keeping the house right. going. I mean, the stuff that they Suppose have done the there. wants to rent the place out for a night for themselves. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's 500 Okay. Which so, is reasonable. Yeah. But, I mean, when you've... And, and the reason why is because if you weren't renting it out for the night, they'd be selling tickets. Right, right. So you have to yeah. cover what they would have been making. Yeah. And they need the money. You covered the overhead of it's, the operation. And, and let me be let me be completely transparent with everybody. It's not a for profit venture. The Oliver House is owned by the town of Middleborough. Yeah. And all of the money that goes to historical is, is made there. It goes back into the Oliver House. Yeah. So the money that's been raised for the you know, the different ghost hunts that they've done, they've been able to... It's a historical society that controls it. No, right? it's the town. town no, yep. Um, the town straight out owns it. Um, and then they have a, a like a like uh, they have like an Oliver House committee yeah, who determines what can, okay, what can get what done and what are. can't. But basically, they trust Christie to run the paranormal side of things. Uh, and then that money has gone toward putting a new roof on the house to re uh, redoing the all the indoor plumbing. And the so... When we used to start going there, you had to go out into a porta potty, yep, uh, and and use that to go to the bathroom. I, I remember that. Yeah. And now, now they have indoor bathrooms. Yep. So, it, which makes a big, big difference, especially in the New colder winter. months. Yeah. Uh, but you can also, you know, you can see all the different things that they've been able to upgrade over the years and just upkeep, because when they started doing things at that house, it was a mess. It had been neglected, so they really had to bring it back to you know, what it is now. And, to, you know, 40 bucks to go spend a night at a place like that is nothing. Like two people will spend that. Like if you go to the movies, it's going to cost you 40 bucks a person for the movie ticket and the snacks and the drinks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a couple's night out for dinner. Right. In, in a decent place easily. So, you know, so you're doing pretty well for yourself to go and get all that history. And they give you the historical tour. They give you some of the evidence that they've captured. And then, you know, you get to use, they even have equipment there that you can use if you don't have your own. But uh, the, you know, the experiences that people have had there are, they're quickly becoming legendary around, especially around New England. One of the things that happened to me there, which was very interesting was I had gone and, and I think this was one of the days that they had me be like the guest investigator for like one of their novice nights or one of their pro nights. And it was after the event was over, everybody else had left. All that was left was the, the regular 
Oliver Howe's team and me. And now, you know, Paul, who our friend Paul Hebard, who yeah. works over there and, and he creates a lot of uh, different experiments that they can try there. And he had created his own um, SLS system. And, you know, he had a monitor on it and everything. And so I'm sitting in the front room and in the dining room area, I hear a crash. And I thought it was Paul, like, dropping something. dropping his SLS system. And so I was like, Paul, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm right next to you. It was mm -hmm. dark. I didn't know that he was. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. What was that crash? Like, and like everybody's in this room. So we all went into that room. There was a photo or a painting that um, that Peggy had brought over that day. And what happened was her sister gave her this painting that she saw at a yard sale or something. And was like, I thought you would want to put this in your house. And Peggy looked at it. <laughs> I don't want this in my house. Uh, sorry if Peggy's sister's listening. <laughs> but she said, but I'll take it to the Oliver house. It'll look good there. And so she had hung it up that day in in the, the dining room, you know, kitchen type area, whatever. And it was hanging on the hook the whole time that people were there, traipsing through the house, stomping on the stairs, stomping up on the basement stairs, all that stuff. And it never moved. It was only after everybody had left that suddenly it came smashing down and it took down a couple clay pots that were on a mantle. Uh, thankfully, they weren't historic. They were something that somebody bought at Pier 1 because they looked like they would fit in there. Yeah. But they, it, it came down and it smashed those two things. So Len and I are looking at this thing and we're like, well, wait a minute. How did this come down? Because... It, now the 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 bracket on the back of the painting was like one of those sawtooth brackets where it, yeah. it's like yeah, you know, know like yeah. like teeth, and the nail that they had hung it on was at a forty five degree angle pointing upward, and then this thing was settled on top of that. So in order for this to have come off that nail, it didn't slide off. It had to come up and over. Something had to come up underneath it and knock it off. And then we're like, okay, so if something came up and knocked it off and it flipped it off the hook, how would it, and we're like, you know, trying to make it, spin, like, take the frame and make it spin, how would it have come down and take down those pots? Like, it would have come off the nail and fallen over and cleared the pots. And then we kind of came to the determination that whatever was there probably came up where the pots were and knocked this thing off from underneath. So a very weird, I mean, it's hard to really kind of describe it without showing you with my hands and we don't have spooky TV yeah. going on, but it, it, just a, a very weird situation. And certainly, you know, still one of the weirdest things they've had happen there. And they've had a lot of weird things happen there. And when you go and you take the tour and you, you spend the night there, they, they will give you all of that information. Um, I'm just going to take a look and see. When? Yeah. Just taking a look at their calendar. Now, you can check them out by going to um, their Facebook page. And I'm going into it now just to see what's coming up on the calendar. I'm looking for their events. Give me one second. So, actually, tonight they were doing historic tours uh, on Wednesday... At noontime, this Wednesday, they're going to have some historic tours planned as well. So that's happening right now. Um, I don't see 
any other pro nights or anything. But, you know, like I said, they've got the place booked up. So if you just follow them on Facebook at the Oliver House MA um, or Oliver House MA, you'll be able to um, find out more about what's coming up and when. Uh, they also will let you know when they have uh, tickets available, tickets for sale, if there are any extra tickets, all of that. So you can find uh, all of that stuff right there. But kind of cool that um, they are doing, you know, regular summer tours too, uh, especially where after last year, you know, they were kind of limited in how much they could do. Just trying to think too, if there's any other revolutionary war sites around here that we haven't had access to that we would like to. I'm in the pro. Well, I got to uh, get into the Lafayette house. You know where that is off of Route 1? In uh, Foxborough? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I might be able to get something going in there. Uh, that was actually a pretty active place for uh, revolutionary uh, planning and stuff, from what I understand. Um, Lafayette played a big part in the American Revolution around here. And... The the I've been by there many many times, like going to Patriots games. Never stopped in. Yeah. Uh, food there is actually pretty good. It looks it looks like the kind of place where you know you're going to have a fantastic meal. Yeah, but you're also going to you know wait to get in. Yeah, but uh, uh, if if I can get that to fruition, I'll let you know. Well, just let me know if you want to go there and eat too. I'm fine okay. with that too. <laughs> I, I I go back there and eat. Yeah. Uh, the there's there's a lot of of sites around here that are historical and go back to the revolution, but the people who run them aren't necessarily willing to let the paranormal side of things come into it. And it's something that we've been dealing with in a lot of historic cases around here. Certainly, um, you know, in Plymouth, we encounter okay. this all the time. Not that that's revolutionary, but we encounter that with Plymouth Free where revolutionary. they don't want the paranormal stuff happening. You know, and our friend Jeff Campbell, who does ghost yep. tours out there, we've talked to him quite a bit about it, that, yeah, they see that you're out there walking the streets with these big crowds every night of people that are interested, and they just don't care that all those people could be coming into your places and spending a little bit of money there to help you with your efforts just to have the chance to go around and hear those ghost stories inside. Uh, and and I don't know. We, we've, got a, we've got a lot of work to do to keep knocking down that stigma. It's going to take a lot. I do think that, I do think that COVID helped in that regard though, because it starved them for money. Well, as they're struggling to come back from it, they might be more willing to listen. And I've had a few places that have reached out to me and said, Hey, so what is it that you do? And then I tell them what it is that we do. And they say, okay, well, we're going to talk about it with our, our leadership and we'll get back to you. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of them do get back and say, you know what? We think we are willing to entertain to, to try. And we used to have a rule. We used to we used to say that we had to go to a place first and see if there was activity before we would open it up for, you know, an event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we've kind of changed that strategy because, first of all, people love to be the first ones to get into a place. Uh, but also we realize, like, it doesn't matter. Because we might go there and nothing might happen. But you experience history. But the, Yeah, and then people just love to be in these places. So uh, they're not just coming for the pizza, although the pizza is usually pretty good. Hmm. 
but they're coming because they want to have that opportunity to, to get a chance to reach back and, and touch it for themselves. And with that in mind, you know, there's, there's probably no place that I wouldn't try and do something. I mean, I've done some place. I did a place uh, in Plymouth a couple of years ago that is a, a privately run, you know, historic site where they never even really had any activity. They just wanted to know if it was possible. And we got a few little flickers of things that were happening while we were there. And then that, of course, led to me meeting somebody who was a real estate agent and said, well, I've got one of the oldest houses in town for sale right down the street if you want to go check it out. And then I went in there and I said, we could do an event here. Like we could, while you're waiting for this place to sell, like we could have 30, 40 people in this place and we could raise some money for the owners, but also we would get to investigate one of the oldest houses in Plymouth. Um, and the only reason that we didn't pursue that is, and I, and I was interested in buying the house because it wasn't that expensive. Uh, but the only reason that we didn't do it is because the floors of the house oh. were so warped that as I, you know, I'm one person. Uh, granted, I probably weigh as much as two, but I'm one person. And as I'm walking through the house, oh. Oh. I can feel the floor kind of giving way. And I was terrified of the possibility of bringing, you know, 20 or 30 people in and having the floor cave in. Was it one of these old growth hand cut uh, floor beams? Or? According to the, to the real estate agent, the floors had just been replaced in the 1960s from the original historic floor. Okay, which would have been the original, you know, hand sawed old growth pine or whatever. And, and my question was... Why they change it? Because it was probably fine, and now yeah. it's not. Like now it's spongy as all hell. Well, there is a house in, um, technically, I think it's Rochester and Rochester side of the Marion Pond, uh, and my friend Frank lived there. And that house was built in the very, very late 1600s, early 1700s, and it was haunted, and it had those big, wide. I'm talking like three foot wide trees which you don't really find around here anymore old old growth pine uh hand sawed floor f floorboards basically and those were still solid i mean it's kind of weird to see these big wide 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 floorboards but well i i just i i'm glad that i made it out of there alive is all I can say, uh, just because it felt, I mean, it's a shame too, because it was a beautiful house. Uh, but I talked to my uncle about it, who's a carpenter and he's like, how much is the house? And when I told him the price, he goes, probably spend about half of that just replacing those floors. So I was like, well, that's not good. And he goes, well, and what about, you know, like what else did it have? And I was like, well, I would, I'd want to open up the original part of the house, which is the basement. And I'd want to have that be you know, more accessible because there's like a hearth down there and everything. And he's like, yeah, you might be getting the house for a good price, but you'd be spending so much more money just getting it to where you could feel live, like you could live in it. And like one part of the house was oil heat. One part of the house was propane heat. And it was just all kind of I wonder if there messed be up. town restrictions too because of historicalness of, you know. Well, we were, we were pretty sure that like replacing the floors were, you know, like whatever it was, we would get approved for that because it was like a structural need. So, but then that was the other part of the fear was that, you know, 
the the house might not actually be able to be sold until that got done. So, which would have been fine because then it would have been on them, but then yeah. it also would have jacked, jacked the price up price. beyond what I would have been able to yeah. afford. All right, let's take a call here. 508-996-0500 if you'd like to call in. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hi. I heard you talk about the Oliver House and yes. that it was investigated. And forgive me if I missed it, but I was just wondering, what was the investigation about? What was the history of the Oliver House? I didn't hear it. So the Oliver House dates back to, well, the Oliver family was one of the richest families in the area. Um, very uh -huh. wealthy, very influential. And and she actually, uh, Christy, has gone back and found, like, even more uh, history than what was previously known about it. Because uh, it, it turns out that there's been a lot of state that, a lot of history of the estate that, you know, was still waiting to be uncovered. Basically, uh, the long story short, the Olivers were... Um, loyal to the crown. They were giving information to the British during the revolution about what the revolutionaries' plans were. Uh, and there's some some confusion as to, or, or some, you know, not exact details about what happened, but Benjamin Franklin ends up visiting. And while he's visiting, people give him letters, whether it's the help that did it or somebody associated with the family, but somebody gave Benjamin Franklin these letters that prove that the Olivers have been communicating with the British and then they turn that into the revolutionary forces. And then from that point on, you know, the Oliver family's reputation was destroyed. So what year were you, what year were you talking about here? Uh, let me see when it was built. It was 250 years ago from last year. So I can't do wow. that math. Oh, wow. Okay. That's very, very interesting. Uh, so so how just, many times have you investigated this house? I've probably been there, you know, six or seven times now. And you've had a lot of activity. Oh yeah, a, a ton of activity. So just taking a look here, it was um, it was built between seventeen. So the whole area was built between seventeen forty four and seventeen seventy five, which is you know the whole Oliver Estate, which includes the Oliver Mill across the street, across Route forty four. Um, mm -hmm. The 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 mill was built in seventeen fifty. Uh, just trying to get the exact information here about the house. Seventeen sixty nine. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah, so maybe it was 2019 that it was the 250th. But so you've got this, you know, this this history of this property and also the families that lived there after the Olivers did, the Sprout family, they haunted as well. And wow. actually they're, they're probably encountered more there than the Oliver family is. Wow. Okay. I don't know why, but I, I feel like a strong connection. I felt it for years to the Revolutionary War days, and I don't know why, and I'd like to investigate, you know, find out why I feel that strong connection to the revolutionary days. I feel very strong about patriotism and I feel the pain. I just feel the pain, what they went through. I would and, assume, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I assume you're local? Yeah, New Bedford. Okay, so have you headed out to Port Phoenix in Fairhaven? No, no. That's a revolutionary war port and it has been rumored to have been haunted. It's one of the first places I really yes, started I've heard. Yeah. So, yeah, I've heard your, your broadcast on that, yeah. So what I would recommend, uh, are you busy on Wednesday? Yeah, I'm working. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was going to say, on Wednesday, they're running some tours at the Oliver Estate uh, for a $5 donation. Uh, you can go, and tours begin at noon and run each hour. You'll be able to walk through with your guide and learn about all the families that called the house home. And you can purchase your spot online, or you can pay at the door. 
Uh, let me just see when that's going until uh, it goes until three. Yeah. So um, it's 12 to three. I don't know if that fits into your work schedule or not, but. I'd rather see, I'll be honest with you, I'd rather see a really good psychic medium to find out why I feel such a strong connection to that time period. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, so, I mean, I can recommend one to you. <laughs> if you go to stephburke.com. Oh, I've tried to reach her. I mean, I've had um, an appointment with her back in 2016 for a Reiki session, and I tried to reach her after that to get a psychic thing, and I, I just she does not respond back to me. But I'll try again. Yeah, I think, I think they moved everything over to her new website, so you probably have to go. Th I think it's info at stephburke.com is her email, oh. uh -huh. and that's, that's probably the best way to try. Okay, I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a great night. Have you too. Bye Take bye. care. And actually, that goes for anybody that wants to book a reading. You can go to stephburke.com, B-U-R-K-E, and Steph, S-T-E-P-H. So, S-T-E-P-H-B-U-R-K-E.com. And uh, even though she's not here tonight, you know, she's she's listening. So, we'll let her know that uh, there's emails and calls coming into her to book some appointments. Uh, that about does it for tonight's show. So, here we are, uh, just a few seconds away from... Independence Day, so happy Independence Day to all of you. Happy birthday, America. We look forward to keep uh, investigating some of your ghosts and spreading the word of your history, and we'll do it all again next Saturday night. We'll be back here for another edition of the program. Find all of our past editions wherever you find your podcasts, including now on Spotify. I think we were before, but now we're solidified on Spotify. You can check us out there and hear all 630 episodes of Spooky South Coast going all the way back 15 years. Until then, stay spooktacular.